The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord In the name of the one God, Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier. Amen. Now, what are we to do with these stories that we just heard? All the way from Elijah witnessing Elijah being swept up to heaven by a whirlwind and carried off by a chariot and horses of fire, through our dramatic psalm of the day, and then Paul's lists of fleshly sins and gifts of the Spirit, right up to Jesus turning his face toward Jerusalem, where he will be crucified, and then continuing to teach his disciples and accept new disciples and put up with the well-intended foibles by everyone he meets along the way. As we read these stories, I feel like I'm in a sports bar with multiple blaring TV screens wondering where to focus my attention. And it's not just the scripture. I am aware of some of the many things that you all are navigating in your lives. I'm aware that we as a community are about to welcome our interim priest next Sunday. I'm aware of the political season and of the hatred being spoken against whole groups of God's people by one particularly loud voice. I am aware of Orlando, of the continuing pain there and the conversations that have come from that tragedy. I am aware of the fears that our nation and world are navigating right now. So when I stop to think about what the most important thing for us to talk about this week might be, that sports bar image fills with way too many TV screens. So let's just start with a story. Glennon Melton Doyle, a speaker and writer on life and faith, recently put out a little video of a very important moment in her life. Twelve years ago, Glennon was young and single, addicted, depressed, and bulimic. Sometimes I think people end up that deeply wounded 
because their parts are just so big. And all of those TV screens, all the pain in the world and in their lives, overwhelms them. Glennon has a very big heart, and she was overwhelmed and very, very unwell. It was Mother's Day morning, and she woke up and fearfully took a pregnancy test. It was positive. This was her rock-bottom moment, and she refers to it as the most beautiful moment of her life because, miraculously, she saw it as an invitation to come back to life. She went to her first AA meeting, and she heard the phrase that many of us know, one day at a time. Do life one day at a time. Except she didn't really like that phrase because when you are that lost, one day can be overwhelmingly eternal. So she adopted the mantra, do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. Here are some next right thing illustrations from today's readings. Elisha was terrified, knowing that his teacher was about to be swept up to heaven. But he accompanied him anyway, even though Elijah tried to give him an out multiple times, because it was the next right thing to do. He was terrified when water and fire and wind did unexpected things. But he stayed and he bore witness because that was the next right thing to do. In Psalm 77, the psalmist names God's power and the ways in which creation responded to God because the psalmist somehow knew of these things and telling others about them was the next right thing. Paul told the Galatians to love your neighbor as yourself because that was the next right thing that they needed to hear. He also looked at the things that can happen in our first human moments. He refers to them as moments of the body, which I disagree with a little bit. But they are moments that derail us. Quarreling, dissensions, factions, and envy, to name a few. He named them so that people would know what to watch out for in themselves. And then he listed the gifts that they could choose to foster in themselves. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He named these things so that we would know where to put our best efforts. I think we still need Paul's words, because when we don't know what the next right thing is, we can weigh our options against this wisdom. The choice that best aligns with loving our neighbor as ourself is likely where we need to go. Sticking with the list of gifts of the Spirit and avoiding the things on that other list will likely keep us in line with the next right thing. In our gospel, Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem because he knew that going to Jerusalem was the next right thing. I think Jesus had a better sense of the next right thing than us disciples tend to have. His disciples went ahead of Jesus to prepare the way. And when a town of Samaritans did not agree to accept Jesus, to host him, the disciples thought, 
maybe the next right thing was to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them. This was not actually the next right thing, which Jesus pointed out to them. We need to remember to be humble enough to run our next right thing planned by Jesus, especially when our first inclination may have casualties. Along the way to Jerusalem, a number of followers approached Jesus, asking if they could do the next right thing, the biggest next right thing, by following him. His answers were different from each from each person, for each person. And they were not easy answers. Even when he was the one who extended the invitation, it was not an easy invitation. He answered in riddles. He answered by denying someone their desire to return home and bury a father. And another was rebuked for wanting to go and bid farewell to those who were left at home. How could this be right? And yet, somehow, for those particular aspiring followers, I bet his answers were, in all their difficulty, just right. The next right thing to do isn't always obvious, isn't always socially acceptable, isn't always what our families would want or expect of us, isn't always what we ourselves had hoped for. And so we put one foot in front of the other, with our intention to do the next right thing in one hand, and a loose grip on our own idea of what the next right thing might be in the other. With the very good idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves on the front of our thoughts. And with Jesus, his face set toward Jerusalem in the deepest part of our hearts. In this way, we walk toward the next moment of our lives, toward each difficult decision in our personal lives, toward welcoming Sarah Connor next week and entering our interim period at the church community, toward one of the most exciting election seasons we have known as a country, toward the search for peace and healing at the communal world, toward Christ. Yoked to him, may we put our hands to the plow and plod on toward the next right thing. Amen.